Actually, uh, as I get set up here, love gathering together, worshiping, love the presence of God. I was realizing this morning, I don't come because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I love gathering. And it would take an awful lot to stop me from getting together and enjoying the presence of God. I can do that at home, but there's something of us coming together that brings a synergy. So, delightful. Uh, we've started talking about uh, effective kingdom ministry. I gave an introduction last week. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your presence, but we're so grateful for your word. The two together equip us so that we can partner with you. What a privilege. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Amen. I said at the beginning of the year, one of the things that I felt like God was saying uh, is that, and I was believing for, was an increase in his presence. When I get, when I'm alone praying, but also as we gather, an increase in the anointing, which is his presence manifest, and then an increase in fruitfulness, which is a result of his presence manifest. Increase in presence, anointing, and fruitfulness is uh, what has been on my heart for the year. I shared last week that God's on the move. It's exciting to see. Uh, but we're called to know him and then to partner with him in what he's doing. Talked last week, we're a kingdom of priests or ministers. And uh, I just want to say this, kingdom ministry is not doing something for God. It's doing something with him. Too often we think we have to do it for him. Uh, the problem is that the kingdom of God is so different than the world. We talked about that much of last year. Kingdom ministry is completely different than the world's concept. And the, the danger is we can't import the world's values and methods if we're actually going to be extending the kingdom. We can extend our own kingdom with the world's values and methods, but not his. So uh, just as a, an aside, the goal of Christian maturity is not leadership, but it's effective kingdom ministry. I've been part of churches for years where the goal is you get saved, you get discipled, you become a leader. And, it, and inadvertently, we, we communicate that the goal is becoming a leader. The goal is effective kingdom ministry. Hopefully, our leaders are effective at kingdom ministry. If not, they're not actually leading us. So, I want to talk about the number one foundation for kingdom ministry. This is going to take us a few weeks to deal with this. Uh, it's a, a big subject. I, I, it's always a challenge to make it in bite-sized pieces. You know, we have a, a whole thing we want to do, but to make each piece something that fits on a Sunday, but also that is something you can digest. 
And so uh, we're going to talk about kingdom ministry, but we're going to deal with the foundations for kingdom ministry. So if you have your Bible, turn with me. I'm going to read you a number of scriptures today. That's different, isn't it? <laughs> Never do that. Uh, Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning and firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Isaiah chapter 60 from verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. And it tells us all these things he's anointed us to do, which we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead. Uh, to preach good tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty, opening of prisons to those who are bound, the acceptable year of the Lord, comfort those who mourn. All this beautiful stuff. And then verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Why do we partner with him? That he might be glorified. Why does he anoint us? That he might be glorified. A couple more. John chapter uh, 16. Is in my Bible here somewhere. And it's up there. It says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, will glorify Jesus. Uh, John 15, verse 8. In this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Are you getting a, a picture of something here? We've said it this morning, we've sang it this morning, sung it this morning, sang, sung. Uh, Tim and I didn't actually uh, partner on what we're doing today. But I want to say this, the foundation for kingdom ministry, number one foundation is that everything we do is to glorify Jesus. We would think that we know that. But the problem is that that methodology of the world is just the opposite. It's that everything we do is to advance ourselves. Everything we do is to glorify Jesus. It's not us. It's not about your name or your reputation. It's not about your ministry. It's not about your advancement. I think more moves of God have been derailed in history by this one thing than just about anything else. Where God begins to move and the people he uses begin to think it's because of them and then they go off the rail. God's on the move and he's chosen to use us. But if we're gonna continue to be a part of what he's doing, this needs to be fixed in our hearts more than anything else. It's not about us. It's about his glory. It's not about our church. It's 
not about our name or our brand. Only Jesus is the answer. And only Jesus gets the glory. Let me say this. If we don't grasp this, if we don't understand this, we'll never understand kingdom ministry. And we will inevitably adopt worldly methods. If you do any study of history, you see that happening. We're going to see that kingdom ministry is designed by God in such a way that we always need him and he always gets the glory. If we're going to be effective in kingdom ministry, this needs to be settled in our hearts. I want to say this, that Jesus is the model for kingdom ministry. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. High priest doesn't mean he was above every. It means he was the model. He was the chief minister. He was the example that we can follow. Doesn't mean he does it all because he's chosen to use us. Chapter 4 of Hebrews and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the high priest. He's the model. He's the one we imitate. It's not your favorite televangelist or podcaster. It's Jesus. We look to him to understand kingdom ministry. Take a deep breath. Y'all there still. Turn with me to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna go back to the beginning of Jesus' kingdom ministry. And when I say this, I want you to be thinking of yourself says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. That's what the Bible says. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tested. He didn't make a wrong turn. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't end up in the wrong place. He wasn't tested because he did something wrong. He was tested by the Spirit to be our example, our model. Do you think Jesus needed to be tested? See, the Bible says that God tempts no one. Yet it says that he was led by the Spirit to be tempted or tested. Why? It wasn't for Jesus, it was for us. So that we could begin to see what is the foundation of kingdom ministry. Jesus was going to do it, 
But he wasn't just going to do it himself. He was going to actually be a model, an example for us. So he did it, and the process was, let me show you how it's done. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Interesting. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I think this is probably the most profound verse in the Bible. Duh. Didn't eat for 40 days. Do you think he was hungry? We needed that, the scripture to tell us that. But then we says, and when the tempter came, which is Satan, came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, let me say this. The if there is not a expression of doubt. If doesn't express doubt. It wasn't like the temptation was, did Jesus know who he was? The if is uh, the assumption of a fact. It's a, an assumed fact, and it could tra be translated since. Since you are the son of God, make bread. Jesus knew he was the son of God. The devil knew he was the son of God. This wasn't a I'm going to try and, and cause doubt. It was simply the, the wording in the Greek. Since you're the Son of God, make bread. So the test was one of self-reliance. Went something like this. You're hungry. You're God. Make bread. Seems like pretty good reasoning to me. You're hungry. You're God, the, the creator. Everything was created through him and for him. Therefore, make bread. But we see something in Jesus' response. Before I get there, let me say this. It's kind of like our approach to ministry. If we get enough training or education... You've been trained. You know what to do. Just do it. Right? You've gone to the class and you've got the education. Therefore, you know what to do. Now just do it. And Jesus, in the midst of this, says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It wasn't about bread. It was about self-reliance. He's quoting Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I love this section of Scripture. He says to the Israelites from verse 1, Every commandment or everything God has said, which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your father. He's talking about establishing a rulership, a kingdom. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about going in and possessing the land, which is the equivalent of New Testament ministry. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, 
Ooh, sound familiar? To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. To know what was in your heart, whether you would listen to his word or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger. Are you getting that connection here? Jesus was hungry. Fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Only place I've seen in the Bible, and I could be wrong, but the only one I've seen where he spends 40 years to make them learn one thing. 40 years to make you know that you live by hearing his voice. You don't live by your education and your training. You live by relationship with God. Jesus is quoting this when in his place of hunger, the devil tempts him and says, you're God, you're hungry, you're God, make bread. Jesus' response is, I live by hearing God's voice. It's a preface to John 5.19 where Jesus says, I do nothing of my own initiative or nothing of myself. But only as I hear the Father saying. Uh, 5.30 says the same thing. In fact, five times in John, he says, I don't do anything of my own initiative. Even though he's God, if anyone could do something of his own initiative, it was Jesus. If anyone could figure out what to do in a circumstance, it was him. And he said, I don't do that. But I live by hearing God's voice. It's a preface to John 15. Where he's talking about us. And he says this from verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I was reminded this week when I heard my son preach on this, how easy it is for us to get this backwards. And we think every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he prunes. But it actually says the opposite. Every branch that bears fruit is pruned that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me And I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Sound familiar? Jesus said, I do nothing of my own initiative. He says we're to be entwined, we're to abide in him. The vine and the branches, we're 
were connected to him in such a way that from that produces fruit. It's not something we have to try and earn. It's not something we have to, to do. It's something that is a byproduct of that intimacy of abiding in him. That's so different than the world. The world says, go out and do it. Be driven. Be ambitious. Jesus says, abide in me. Rest. Be intimate. And there's something that happens. What does this mean for us? It means this. God never intended us to do kingdom ministry without relationship. We talked last week about the three parts, truth, revelation, relationship, and response. He never intended us to do ministry for him. He never intended us to do ministry without relationship. When we do is when we get burnt out. When we do is when we get smashed. When we do is when it becomes overwhelming and, and becomes a weight that crushes us because it's something we're trying to do in our own strength and in our, in our own ability based on what we know, based on what we've learned. A number of years ago, Mary and I lived in uh, Melbourne. We were planning a church there and I was asked to come and pray for a guy in the hospital. One of the gals in our church, it was her dad, had really, really bad arthritis. And I was asked to come and, and pray for him. So Mary and I went to the hospital and I had had some training that basically said that sometimes arthritis is associated with bitterness. I knew a little bit of this guy's story from his kids who were part of our church that he had been very wrongly treated uh, in a church, accused of, of some financial impropriety that he didn't do, someone else did. And it came out later, but he was, he was uh, and I thought, ah, yeah, okay, I figured it out, he's bitter. And so I've got my plan. I've been trained. I know what to do. I'm gonna do it. And as I walk into the hospital room, the Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, this man is not bitter. Which you think would be great. I was going, oh no. I don't know what to do now. How often in ministry do we, when we don't know what to do, we turn to the Spirit. But as we get older, as we've seen the same thing a number of times, we think, now I know what to do. And we move from turning to the Spirit to turning to our experience and our education. And if we are successful enough on that, we write a book and tell everyone else how they should do it like we did. Jesus didn't write a book. Jesus said, I'm not telling you how to do it except that you hear the Holy Spirit. So I go into the hospital. He's not bitter. We're going to pray for him. I don't know what to do. So I said, guys, let's pray. We're just going to pray in tongues. When in doubt, pray, with, pray in the Spirit. So I began to pray in the Spirit. And as, as I began to pray, 
I found myself praying not only in the spirit but with the understanding that, that he, there was a curse over this man's life. And I began to just break a curse. And uh, afterwards he asked me, why did you pray that? I said, I'll be honest with you. I came with a plan thinking that your problem was bitterness and that and the Holy Spirit said, you're not bitter. And so I had no idea what to pray. So I just prayed in the spirit. And as a result, we began to pray about curses. And uh, as we prayed that and then broke that, the next morning he was totally healed. The worst thing that I could do is then decide arthritis is connected to curses. My experience says I know how to do this. Someone else's experience said it was bitterness, but mine says it was curses, so which I'm going to go with? Neither. Or all of them. God never intended us to do kingdom ministry without relationship. Let me say this. You can't learn enough or be educated enough to do kingdom ministry on your own. Too often the world tells us you're not qualified because you haven't gone to seminary or Bible college or you haven't got this degree or done this. You're not qualified. Therefore, God can't use you. And God says exactly the opposite. He says, knowledge puffs up. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Knowledge puffs up. It makes arrogant. God's not looking for our education. He's looking for our intimacy and our obedience. Let me say this. You have the Holy Spirit, if you do, and you can do everything God calls you to do. You don't need more education. You don't need more training. You don't need more experience. You simply need to do what he says. I'm getting excited. My voice goes up when I get excited. Always embarrasses Mary in a restaurant when I start getting excited because I'm preaching. My preacher voice. Settle this in your heart. You can't learn enough or be educated enough to do kingdom ministry on your own. Kingdom ministry, ministry that is partnering with God, ministry that is based on truth, but it's also based on relationship and our response, that ministry, that dependence on him keeps us humble and keeps grace flowing. In James and in Peter, both places, the Bible says this, God is opposed to the proud. He stands against the proud. Yet knowledge puffs up. But he stands against the proud. You don't want God working against you. I don't want anyone working against me, but if someone's going to work against me, I'd rather it be Tim and not God. 
God is awesome. Opposed means he works actively against. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Kingdom ministry is built on the foundation of relationship and humility. Humility releases grace. Why? Because he gets the glory. Everything we've been singing, it's about him. It's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about my ministry. It's about recognizing I can do nothing without him. Jesus did nothing of his own initiative. I can do nothing without him. But in him, what? I can do all things. Not all things I want to do. All things he calls me to do. If we're going to continue as kingdom ministers, which is God's plan, we're a kingdom of priests, we're a kingdom of ministers, then we have to spend time with God. We'll talk about this over the next few weeks, but relationships are a function of time. The more time you have with someone, the deeper your relationship. When Mary and I met, I didn't meet her one day and never talked to her again for two years and then ask her to marry me. We spent all kinds of time together. We talked and over coffee and we, we did things and we got to know each other and it grew. The relationship grows as a function of time. You want to get added to a church, get connected in a small group, a connect group, where you spend time. This doesn't build much relationship. It causes us to grow in our understanding and grow in our relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't cause us to grow in relationship with one another, especially when you have all these masks on. I have to tell you that uh, I have a, just part of God's how he made me. I have a very good memory. Now I'm going to forget something and then I'll look like an idiot. But normally, when I preach, humility is being known for who you are. It's not pride. But normally when I preach, after a half an hour of looking at you here, I can go home and picture every one of you. I know who's here. I also know who wasn't here, which doesn't really matter. But I know who's here. And Mary will say, oh, was... uh, Was Ian and Jen there today? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, they were sitting right in the middle. But now with these masks, I'm not always sure. (laughs) I think that's Glenn over there. But uh, I found that uh, I have this picture of a whole bunch of of masks (laughs) and bald heads. (laughs) I'm getting sidetracked. The key is that if we're going to grow in relationship, if we're going to become effective in kingdom ministry, we've got to spend time with God. There's no substitute. Education doesn't replace relationship. Truth is important. We want to be 
fully word and fully spirit. Truth is important, but it doesn't replace intimacy. Spend time with God in worship. Spend time with God in prayer. Someone once said, prayer is an indication of our dependence on God. The less we pray, the less dependent on God we are, and the more dependent on ourselves we are. You want a litmus test on your dependence on God, simply look at your prayer life. I struggled with this when I was young because prayer to me was something that you did last. When there was a problem, I would try and solve it. I would try and figure it out. I would try and administrate it. I would try and do something to it. And when nothing else worked, I'd begin to pray. And God challenged me one day and said, why are you trusting in yourself and not in me? I was pastor of a church in California at the time, and I put a little note on my bulletin board above my desk that said, pray first. Not only do we need to spend time with God, but we need to study the word to know him. Not just to know about him. Let me ask you, do you read the Bible and say, God, Jesus, will you reveal yourself to me? I was uh, just reminded again this morning, there's something about Jesus that the more we know him, the more we want to know him. The more we experience his presence, the more of his presence we want to experience. The more we see his hand at work, the more of his works we want to see. And there's something that stirs up. There's something that happens when it's about Jesus and not about us. It becomes easier to give him glory, not harder. It becomes easier to exalt and magnify him, not harder. The uh, difficulty with trying to break what I'm trying to say in little bits and pieces is I never know actually how to finish it. So would you stand? Would you bow your head? Just so you're not distracted by other people. Would you allow the Holy Spirit a chance to apply the word to you? And make whatever adjustment you need to. Have you been worried about how you look? When I first was called to ministry, I prayed for some people and they got healed. And I was quite excited. And then a season went by and nobody got healed. And I got angry with God. Not because of the people who didn't get healed, but because I felt like I didn't look good. 
I wanted to be 100% successful. I wanted to, to, people to say, oh, when Russ prays, people get healed. And God had to do something in my heart. See, it's easy to say, not my glory, yours, but there's something there that still says a little bit of me. I was challenged this morning in worship. I was saying, Lord, what do you want to do today? Is there something you want to speak? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, yes, but not through you. If I'm not excited for God to use somebody else, then I'm not in a place where he can use me. Mary and I were dating. I had felt something of a call to ministry, a mission ministry in Eastern Europe. And God had to deal with me. And he said to me very clearly, if you can't serve me anywhere, then you can't serve me anywhere. If there's a special place that you can serve me and nowhere else, then you're not actually serving me. If I can't use who I want to accomplish my purposes and bring about my glory, then I can't use you because you're going to get jealous or envious. We're a kingdom of priests. God wants to use everyone. Are you excited for him to use the least? The untrained, the uneducated. If there needs to be some adjustment, just do it and say, God, change my heart. I want Jesus to be glorified above everything. And every branch that bears fruit, he trims. And every branch that doesn't, he takes away. (laughs) We don't want to get to that part. Lord, what a privilege that we get to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your hand, hand at work and your heart moving in this city. In our lives, thank you that you're breathing life to dry bones. Thank you that you're drawing people to Jesus. Thank you for all that you do, Lord. But we say, as grateful as we are, we want you to be glorified. Lord, if you choose us, and you have, your word says that. We want the same foundation. We live by hearing your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.